and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. I'm Anita Kelly, and my guest today is Ray Spangler. Hey, Ray. Hey, Anita. It's good to be here. Oh, it's good to talk to you. Uh, as I said, it's great to hear your voice. It's been too long. So, um, and I always love talking to you. So. Yeah, we have we've had a lot of fun times. Yes, we have running <laughs> running from the campus police and <laughs> all my the... wife recent, recently said, you know, I don't know how I feel about you doing that. You might end up in handcuffs again. And I said, one time, one time. <laughs> yeah, that that was a great time though. We had we had a great weekend, really. We did. Yeah, yeah. Kind of miss those days. But, it was good times. Yeah, it was. So, um, so Ray, your most recent novel um, was, I think it was just recently released, was called Seeking Approval, right? Yeah. Um, so can you tell us about this novel? Like when, and when did it come out? Um, <laughs> well, that actually got a little bit complicated. Normally that's a really easy question. Um, the ebooks came out the last week in June and the print books came out like yesterday. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, it, it ended up, we knew that the print books wouldn't be ready in time for the GCLS conference, but it was really important for me that since I was going to be reading for that, from that book that I wanted people to be able to order it. So we uploaded the ebooks thinking the print books would be out in about three to four weeks and the i i won't go into all of the details but the printing chain is a mess uh, and kind of has been ever since the pandemic and i got caught in between a corporate buyout of one of the biggest print distributors so i didn't get in in time for the old system and i got in too early for the new system and it just became a mess but it is out there now so if you're one of those purists who has been waiting for the print books. First of all, God bless you. I appreciate it. Um, second of all, you can get that right now. Awesome. Wonderful. That's great. Great to hear. And where where can they go to get that? Um, I know for sure that Amazon has it in all formats. And I believe that Bella Books now has their copies as well. Okay, great. Bella Books, Amazon. Yeah. All right. All right. So so tell us about that book. What is Seeking Approval all about? Um, so this is um, it's my therapy book. I think I've had more than one therapy book, but this one was definitely my my heart book. It's we've got Emery who has gone home. She's kind of a, a world traveler living her best life. But she goes home after her father's untimely death, thinking that she will become the CEO of the company and finds out that she has not been awarded that position because they find her too unstable. She's flighty. She's not trustworthy um, to show up in a pinch. They don't think that she's community minded or family minded like her father was. Um, so she has to prove herself and she decides that the best way to do this would be to find a nice, stable society girlfriend. And her attention falls on Arden. She likes Arden um, from the first time she sees her picture. But when she meets her, she finds out that Arden struggles with some pretty severe social anxiety. Okay. And um, everyone thinks that that's a terrible match for someone so gregarious and outgoing. But Emery doesn't. Emery likes Arden. She thinks she's interesting. She thinks she's different. She thinks that she has this beautiful self-deprecating sense of humor. And the two of them kind of forge an unlikely uh, connection. And from there, the complications sort of spin around what they both want and don't want out of life. And also society's perception of who is worthy of you know, being valued in our society and, and who we who we sort of write off. And I think that was really important for me to figure out, um, you know, how you write characters, romantic characters of, of worth and brilliance and sexiness, even when we have this societal stigma on things like mental illness and 
you know, anxiety mm-hmm. and stress. And mm-hmm. I mean, even even introversion, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. even have to reach to the point of a disorder because I think a lot of people stigmatize extreme introversion. Mm-hmm. So it was really important for me to write these characters as beautiful and sexy and powerful in their own right without anybody fixing or curing anyone else. So that was that was definitely um, something I was working through there. That's a huge undertaking. You know, how how do you take a character who has anxiety and who is an introvert? and and make them likable to the world right um yeah i think there's definitely that perception but i didn't have any trouble seeing arden as likable i think that one of the things that you know i i read this study once that the person who speaks the loudest in a group is seen to be the one you know the one that people follow even if they're completely bullshitting yeah and I like, you know, just talk loud and say it with convincing. And I think Arden has so much to give, but she says it so softly Mm -hmm. that you have to really be listening. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't take the time to listen, but Emery does. Mm -hmm. And when, when Emery gives Arden that chance to be heard, Mm -hmm. Arden gives back way more than Emery gives her in a lot of ways. Wow. So how, how did you come up with these characters? Like, how, how did you decide that, you know, one individual was going to be more gregarious and the other was going to be more introverted? And, um, um, you know, it's always a combination of influences. I don't know that I can ever pinpoint one exact thing. Some some readers have pointed out that it's kind of a gentleman Jack Uber in some ways. And I think, you know, I was a big gentleman Jack fan for a couple of years. So I think that's that's highly possible okay um i think i i mean i don't think i know that i am an extrovert and my wife is an introvert so that's a definitely a combo that i live in my life Mm -hmm. but also uh we had kind of a wild and at times really rough year last year and so i was dealing with levels of anxiety i hadn't experienced before and i think I, you know, at one point I was really struggling and I kept saying, but I'm the same person. I am a good person. Mm -hmm. I, I have not changed at my core. These circumstances of my life have changed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm relating to the world differently, but I'm still at my core me. And I think that that, you know, I call, I called it a therapy book, but I think this was still very much me giving Arden the grace that I was looking for in that moment. Uh-huh. Okay. I was wondering how you were connecting. Uh, you call this the therapy book with. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I was traveling last year, so I wasn't in therapy. Um, but I think I was using Arden and Emery as that space to, to bring forth some of those, those things of, of self-reflection and self-worth and, finding value and offering yourself grace which are a lot of um they're they're just a lot of things that i think we could probably all do more of Mm -hmm. um don't always get that affirmation yeah yeah definitely um it sounds like you're you did a lot of deep work on your characterization um for this novel yeah Yeah. i try (laughs) Yeah. yeah so um are you getting what kind of reviews are you getting for, uh or are you getting any yet yeah i'm getting like the most i mean gosh these reviews that have stolen my heart really i i don't know that the book is selling particularly well probably partially because of the print problems um but i also unfortunately think some people see the reviews talking about social anxiety and they think it's going to be something different than it is mm-hmm. The readers who are giving it a chance, I'm getting the most raw and vulnerable and wonderful responses to these characters that that I didn't even, I wasn't even hoping for. I wasn't even expecting, um, but so many readers have written and said they haven't seen themselves reflected in our, our literature this way and they haven't felt affirmed like mm-hmm. this before and and several people have sent me really 
personal, really, really revealing stories about themselves feeling inadequate or feeling, you know, like they were problematic or that they had to change. And that this book was one of the first sort of, you know, pop culture kind of references that made them feel seen. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah, that is really awesome. And it sounds like it has become a therapy book for others as well. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that people, I, one woman wrote and said that she had only ever been told that she needed to change, that she needed to put herself out there more, that she needed to, you know, be be what other people wanted to hang out with. And not a single person in 40 years had told her that she deserved to be loved for exactly who she was. Yeah. And it, I mean, that just breaks my heart. Yeah, that's sad. That's sad. Uh, I hope she was never in therapy and a therapist told her that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I think, you know, like I said, I didn't write this as a character that needs to be pitied. I wrote this as a character who is amazing. Arden is so freaking awesome. Um, yeah. that it's not, and, and again, she offers Emery, I think, I, I think more than Emery offers her in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, she may know herself better than Emery, right? Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I'm, I, I try not to spoil anything, but there's one point where Emery says, you know, did you ever think that I envy your ability to sit in your own brain? Wow. Right. I don't do that. I have to fill every single silence because I'm so uncomfortable, but you can just be with yourself. And that is something that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That is um, not something that a lot of people are capable of doing really. Oh, I think it's a superpower. It is. It is. We, we fill our time with, you know, like just, especially now, just like scrolling and TV and, you know, streaming. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot, a lot of, uh, I don't know, um, stimulus coming at us. <laughs> it is, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is, that is a, an art, I think, to just sit and be, you know, and, and when I was doing like direct, you know, um, my my background is in therapy. I was a therapist. And when I was doing direct care, um, I, I, you know, told a lot of my clients like that you are a human being, like not a human doing and your worth is not based on what you do and how much you do. You know, it's it's just you can be and it's OK. You know, yeah. um, I think we need to hear more of that, really. I agree. I think we all as a society need to hear a lot more of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, I cannot wait to read Seeking Approval. Like, this sounds like it is right up my alley. Right? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I want to ask you, you said that that uh, this past year, um, because of circumstances, you were uh, experiencing a lot more anxiety. And I know that just from social media, from following you, that your, your family was on this journey last year and, and you were in far off lands. Um, <laughs> so how, how did this come to be? How did you decide to do this? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was wild. It was, it was actually not what we planned at all, which led to the anxiety, but my wife had a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And my son is 15 and he was going into high school and we realized he's quickly getting to the age where, you know, it's going to be more important for him to be stable and, and go through a much more linear school system than we've had in the past. So we figured this was kind of our last chance to take off. Mm -hmm. And we used to, we lived in England for eight months. So we'd kind of done the, the abroad thing before, but this one, we decided that we were initially going to try and live in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, and we initially got approved for a visa. But when we got over there, we could not establish residency, which was a wild, wild experience that was, you know, also, you know, led led to a lot of the emotions I was dealing with. But we ended up only being able to be in Spain for about five weeks. Wow. And then we hit England, went back to where we had lived in England for a while. And then we were, uh, you know, housing insecure, basically. We had rented our home for a year. We'd signed a year lease, so we couldn't go home. Oh, my goodness. 
at that point, we decided that we were going to have to take things as they came. And we were going to learn really different lessons than we sat out to. We thought we were going to learn how to speak Spanish. Uh, and it ended up that we had to learn how to relinquish some control. We, um, we always like to say that we're the people who show up. And this year we had to learn to let other people show up for us. Ah, it's a hard lesson. Yeah, we had to embrace some vulnerability. Um, we had to figure out a lot about who we are as a family and how we move through the world. But along the way, we just, we got, I mean, a lot of people did show up for us. So awesome. we... We kind of meandered down the eastern seaboard. We stopped in Canada for a while. Just, I mean, little bits here and there. We spent a lot of time with family we don't get to see very often. My son has never lived near grandparents or cousins. Mm -hmm. So that was a, an experience. Nice. Um, he got to know his great-grandparents. is kind of a magnificent thing. And one of our friends, you know, I was really upset. And she said, you know, I know it's hard and you're allowed to be disappointed, but Spain is still going to be there in five years and great grandparents might not be. That is very true. Yeah. And it just, it made me like, I had to think about ways to let go. Yeah. And, um, he, he thrived. He, he kind of stepped up. He did really well. <laughs> he learned how to manage a lot of things that 15 year olds don't traditionally manage. Yeah. He can walk into places all over the world and make friends. Yeah. He has found that tennis is very much a universal language. Wow. Uh, he doesn't have to speak the language if he shows up with the tennis racket and can play. Yeah, it's true. Wow. And he learned it like he said with great love. He said, when we're talking about what he learned, he said, he learned that sometimes even parents don't have their shit together. And <laughs> we kind of laughed, but we were like, you know what, buddy? That's a really good thing to learn at 15 is that most people are still it out even when they're 40. Mm -hmm. And like you don't have to know all the answers even as an adult. And I think that was that was a really good thing. Um, it's probably a relief. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope it's I hope it's something that he carries with him that he there's so much pressure on teenagers now. Like he he was taking his first college visits as a freshman in high school. And I'm like, you just they're asking him what he wants to major in. Yeah. And I'm like, buddy, you don't like I don't know what I'm doing half the time. How are you going to ask a 15 year old what he wants to do for the rest of his life? I know it's, it's a little ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and their lesbian romance author was not a job listed at career day in high school, right? There's so many, <laughs> no. there's so many things you don't know about yourself or the world. Yeah. You're still figuring out. And I think that that was a year where we we really lived in that figuring it out mentality. And it was uncomfortable and it was hard and uh, it took its toll on our mental health. I don't want to, you know, aggrandize the whole thing, but it also was a really powerful experience too. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was life changing for all of you. It really was. Yeah. And we got, I mean, we got to do cool stuff too. It, I mean, we, we scuba dived in the Mediterranean, you know, we, we saw a baseball game in London. Like it's, I mean, we did really cool stuff along the way too. That's so great. That's awesome. We rode horses in New Mexico. Like we, we did some, we, we are, we're a family who always finds a way to have fun no matter where we are. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. Definitely. I, I'm so happy for you guys that, you know, even though it didn't end up like you had anticipated, you had an amazing journey, you know? Yeah. And, and it was like really a journey because it wasn't just about traveling. It was a journey of getting to know yourselves and um, each other a little bit better um, and a little more, uh, I guess, truthfully, too. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy for you. That's great. So, um, Ray, 
I wanted to uh, back up a little bit in time and and talk about your English series. Okay. So that consists of full English, modern English, and plain English. Yes. So um, I think full English, right, was the first one. Yes. A reader pointed out to me that they're in alphabetical order. <gasps> they are. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so um, when you were writing full English, did you intend to write a series or did that just kind of organically happen? Yeah, that was that was not planned at all. Um, so I've got two kind of same world series and neither of them were planned to be a series. Wow. I am not a planner. Um, but we were living in England when I started full English and um, living very much in a town that that setting is based off of. And it was just, it was a really, it was kind of the opposite of this last trip in that we were in a place, a steady, stable place. It was pretty much the happiest year of our life. And Aww. there was, there was really, you know, I was super creative there. I finished a book. And then wrote two books in that eight months. Wow. It that's, that book is definitely a book of happy memories for me. Oh, that's so cool. That's wonderful. <laughs> and and um so so when you were living in England, um was your wife on sabbatical still or like No, she was teaching fully online oh, then. Wow. Okay. My wife, yeah, my wife is a college professor and she is one of the leaders in her discipline on online education she's that's that's the area she publishes in and um so that was her first time that she was teaching fully online and we said you know what well, if we can do this from anywhere we really should heck yeah that's <laughs> awesome wonderful that's great um so um full english is the first one and then what made you decide to write modern english and then go on to write a third plain english so modern english came about because there was a sort of side character in full english that the readers really really liked um lady victoria penchant she's the daughter of the local duke and um we see her as sort of a a possible uh love interest for emma in the first book and she doesn't get the girl uh, but she's extremely likable and she becomes um, someone that the readers kind of attach themselves to so people started asking almost immediately would she get her own book and I said you know what if 50% of the reviews mention Lady Vic then I'll write a sequel and it ended up being about 90 percent wow. of the reviews That's... it was astronomical so uh let that be a lesson to all of you readers out there that if you really if you really love something you should let the authors know because that's how modern english came into existence and uh that book was wildly popular i think it was more popular than the first one uh, so you have the the daughter of the duke falls in love with a a movie actress who's filming at the castle. Oh, cool. Well, great. And then what about plain English? What what made you uh, go on for your third one? So plain English came about, um, Anne McMahon has done the covers for the England books. She's fantastic. Nice. And she sent me a cover for modern English, a first draft that was just really, really beautiful. And I loved it, but it, it didn't fit the story at all. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt bad. I felt like I didn't want to offend her by turning down this gorgeous cover. But I, I was talking to Anna Burke one night and I said, what, what if I told her I need a different cover for this book, but I want to keep the cover she sent me for the third book in the series and Anna was like wait are you writing a third book and I was like could you don't know I could um and I remember it very distinctly it was Thanksgiving during the pandemic because I was making bread and I was up to my elbows in flour and I was just kind of like tapping my phone with my elbow 
And I started talking, I started dictating like what a third book could be about. And I basically wrote the meet cute from that story in that conversation to Anna. And it it gets sprang pretty much fully formed in that moment as I'm kneading bread. And she at one point said, dude, stop, you need to write this down. And I was like, I'm writing it down in the text. Don't delete. (laughs) Um, And from there, it just it took off. It's my first non-binary lead in Pip. And Claire is the other main character. That's Claire is another one that I think looking back was was you know, saying things to Pip that I needed to hear. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I wrote that book in about 10 or 11 weeks. It was Jeez. a fever dream. It was so fast. It just poured out of me. Like I had writing sessions where I like was sweaty at the end because uh-huh. I was working so intensely. And I didn't really even have a concept of that until I went back and read all the way through I never I never really plan things out as I'm writing so my first view of the big picture is when I'm finished with the first draft and at that point I kind of freaked out because I realized that I had revealed things through Pip that I had never really processed myself things about you know identity and vulnerability and and showing up against the grain of your community and expectations um and I kind of, I ended up taking it to my therapist in a panic. And like, I, I'm like, I didn't mean to do this. This book is going to go out in the world. Like it's on the schedule. And I didn't mean to say some of these things. I didn't even know I thought some of these things. Um, and she was like, okay, you're going to read it again. And you're going to highlight passages that you find are revealing. And you're going to bring them in. And we're going to talk about them. We're going to go through them one by one. Great. Um, and that that was really my beginning to process some of these things for myself and also what it means to be someone who has been known as a lesbian romance writer to now be writing non-binary and more generalized queer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you get to call this a lesbian romance? Do you get to call yourself a lesbian romance writer? And it, it ended up being really wonderful in the end mm-hmm. um, but really scary in the moment yeah. um and that book just won the goldie oh, in awesome. the contemporary romance category at the gcls awards and that was really affirming to me you should have seen the look on my therapist's face when i told her that and she was like all of this time all this time that you thought maybe you didn't get to stay in that community and they just gave you an award for this book how about that it has been i think it has been a journey for all of us right this book from from me writing it to the editors working through it to the community sort of asking themselves what do we do with this thing Mm -hmm. Um, and embracing it, it yeah and then ultimately choosing that it did belong Wow, you have been on quite a journey, Ray. I have. It's been a busy couple of years. Damn. Um, I think, you know, now is a good time to pause and let our listeners know um, what your pen name is versus. Yeah, yeah. I, I publish under the name Rachel Spangler, which is my legal name. Um I, I've sort of backed into a pen name because, you know, when I started writing, that was the only name I had and I didn't feel any need to choose a pen name. I wasn't hiding anything. Um, and it's still a name that's, that's not uncomfortable for me. So if you see me out, when people talk about my books, they still say, oh, this is a Rachel Spangler romance, or this is a Rachel Spangler book. Um, but among friends, uh, I'm very much going by Ray these days, not because Rachel is a dead name, but because Rachel, you know, it's a part of my life. It's just not the most representative part anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's why my friends call me Ray. And I like that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to have these sides of myself both 
get validated. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like you're um, through plain English and and through the Goldie Award? Which congratulations, by the way, yeah. um, that's awesome. Do you think that um, you are kind of given permission to be your authentic self now? Yeah, I mean, certainly more so than I ever have. I still get the odd sort of nasty gram from folks. I still, I know there are people that are part of our professional organizations who are against that inclusion. But I think I I feel like I have the bulk of the community behind me. I feel like I certainly have been welcomed beyond what I expected a couple of years ago. I think, you know, particularly the GCLS, if you're not familiar, that's the Golden Crown Literary Society, and that's the professional organization um, for lesbian literature, fiction or non. And it it was definitely going through growing pains around the same time I was about who was welcome, who was allowed in. Mm-hmm. Are we policing authors' identities or are we lifting up certain types of stories and who gets in that um, gets to be in those categories. And there was a lot of backlash. Okay. They they um, changed some of their language to say sapphic instead of lesbian exclusive. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that. So, yeah. So and, and they put a, you know, a thing on their website saying sapphic includes lesbians, bisexual women, non-binary folks, trans women, um, so that's it's a broader understanding of whose stories get to be part of our community. And there was considerable backlash to that. But the last two conferences, I think it's become really clear that uh, the majority, I mean, the overwhelming majority has been supportive of inclusion. And um, the organization is growing. The The last two conferences have really been wonderful i mean probably the best conferences we've had in 10 or 12 years they the audience is more diverse uh more diverse in age more diverse in race we've had you know a broader spectrum of queer folks there um and you know you i think there's a lot of stereotypes about what age category people fall into but i had conversations with 18 year old lesbians and I had conversations with 50 year old non-binary folks and Mm -hmm. it's just a much more representative selection now so I'm definitely feeling safer in that environment and that makes me freer as a writer good I'm so glad to hear that I'm so glad to hear that it's just so inclusive um and and I understand that there are uh other folks who um you know are not okay with that but you know that's I I I always say that's their problem and I don't want to make their problem my problem because it's not yeah and I think one of the things is also that they're the minority and I think that's what I wasn't at all certain about a couple years ago I honestly didn't know if plain English would end my career there was and there that wasn't hyperbolic there were serious conversations um thankfully my publisher Bywater Books was immediately I when I wrote them and I said you know Claire is a lesbian Pip is non-binary and this is a different thing this is a fundamentally different set of identities but the story is still very much a classic Rachel Spangler romance that everybody has come to know from me and they wrote back and said we want it we want it immediately we want all of it good um good but there was some talk about you know how we would handle backlash and we did get some there some backlash definitely came in but it was just much much smaller than anticipated good I'm glad to hear that yep there's always one in every crowd, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Ray, um, learning curve and trails merge, right? I'm, I'm going way back now. Yeah, um, way back. So they were both released in 2008. Wow. And um, yeah, so that's 15 years ago. <laughs> um, so can you look back and from then till now and can you see the difference in your writing style and really just an evolution 
of your skills and style? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had no idea what I was doing at the beginning. I mean, I didn't have any sense of a career. Learning Curve was written when I was an undergraduate and I was bored and poor and there weren't a lot of lesbian books available in normal Illinois. <laughs> um, so, so I just kind of started writing that story to entertain myself in the back of my boring, you know, Jeez. geography classes. And it, it was never with any grand plan for any of this. And I, I wasn't even an English major. I was a political science major. And so wow. it, like the things that I have learned since then, you could fill as many books as I've written, right? It's, mm -hmm. I think it was really my third book, The Long Way Home, that I was kind of aware that this was, this was something I could build a life on. And at that point, I began to study it. I began to talk to other writers. I began to learn about craft. I began to see editing as, you know, not fixing a manuscript, but teaching me how to do better with each book. I have a list of manuscript notes that's like four pages long now that I add to with every book I write. You know, I don't make this mistake again. Don't do this thing next time. And I think that I, you know, I am an extrovert. So being in situations where I talk to other writers every time I sit down yeah. with other writers socially or at a conference, I try and pick up something, some bit of their wisdom that I can apply. We have the most amazing community where I can talk to the great Lee Lynch and have many, many times about understanding our place in this evolution. But I can also talk to authors who are putting out their first book 15 years after me and and what do they know what are they bringing to the table that i haven't even imagined yet mm -hmm. like it's yeah gosh part of me like i'm embarrassed when i go back and i i don't really reread my books i someone has someone reviewed learning curve not that long ago and i was like oh god be gentle i was just a baby <laughs> i was <laughs> baby when I wrote that yeah. um, and I was kind of embarrassed to see what she might find in the craft in this you know mm -hmm. but at the same time I know the heart of those characters is still true it, they're they're still real people who helped catapult me into this life that I love so I'm not embarrassed of them I just think of how much I have learned since then. People are always like, if I'm going to start with one of your books, should I start at the beginning? And I'm like, oh, dear God, no, don't, Aww. don't start there because I want you to see who I've become. But maybe read one of the new ones and then go back and you can see the contrast of how good I've gotten. Yeah. Um, but I, I think those are I all like, good books, though, really. Yeah, I like to believe that the characters carry enough charm in their authenticity that you will be willing to overlook the things I didn't know about point of view. So I want to tell you that when, so um, I used to read a lot of lesbian novels, like, um, uh, yeah, I think Nyad Press, like <laughs> way back, right? Barbara yeah. Wilson, all that stuff. And then, and then I kind of got away from it. Right. And then um, I was in um, uh, Provincetown at uh, uh, what was that bookstore clo that closed? Uh, now Voyager. That's it. Thank you. I yep. was in, I was in Now Voyager and I picked up a book and it was Radcliffe's. And I was mm. like, hmm, who is this person, Radcliffe? And, uh, was it one of the P-Town books? I, I think it might have been. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And, uh, and so I bought it and read it. And, and so then I think right after that, I bought, uh, Trails Merge. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that really, you know, I think catapulted me back into the whole lesbian, like the, you know, LGBT novel scene. Uh, wow. That's a quite an honor. I thank you for telling me that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank you for writing that. 
That is still, I will say, it's one of my best-selling books. It's still in the top five. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. It's a good book. It Thank really you. Is. Yeah, and you know, it's it's standing the test of time. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fantastic. So, so what are you going to do to celebrate your fifteen years as a published author? You know, honestly, I hadn't even realized it was my 15th year as a published author. So maybe I'll tell my wife that and see what we need to do. We are going to, we're going to be in Provincetown in a couple of weeks. Maybe we should celebrate then. There you go. That's perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I'll miss you. Uh, All right. Yeah, you got to get back. Yeah, we were not going this year. Uh, yeah. You know, my wife doesn't, she's not big on, on going to Provincetown uh, in the fall. Uh, she'd rather, okay. she'd rather go in the summertime. Um, and, uh, so I don't know, maybe I'll just venture up myself one of these days and, you know, I have never been in the summer. I only ever go for women's week, but, uh. um, but we love it. Our family's gone, you know, outside of the pandemic. We've gone every year since Jackson was about 10 months old, 11 months old. So that's where I met the little whippersnapper. Yeah, he's grown up there. He it wouldn't even occur to him as a 15 year old straight white guy that Women's Week is not his target audience because he's just always been there. Yep, that's true. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. No, we used to go up in the summertime all the time. That was one of our uh, first dates, kind of. It was going to Providence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, uh, I hope you get to uh, celebrate in P Town your anniversary that's that's awesome you. yeah you have to post something on uh okay all right all right do it so um you know uh i want to get back to uh this you know therapy issue because you know those are my roots and yeah. uh, <laughs> so you really talk openly about being in therapy and and um i have to believe that it has had an impact on how you write and um what do you think about that has it you know helped you and and what kind of impact do you think it has had on your writing oh absolutely yeah i am a therapy convert i i have zealot like tendencies around my therapy conversion i put off therapy for a long long time i think i believed that like i was skating through a lot of my life and career on my vast amounts of charm and that a therapist. Well, that's see- true. True story. Yeah. <laughs> that, that a therapist would see through me and would, you know, I didn't want to let anybody get too close mm-hmm. because I think I felt like underneath it all was some sort of vast insufficiency. It's scary. I, it is. It is really scary to let yourself be known on that level. Yeah. Um, but my wife really, really encouraged me to do that work. And it's it's been amazing. I've ended up loving it. You know, for, for a while, I was able to sort of intellectualize that, you know, mental health is health and that, you know, it wouldn't have any more stigma for me than going to a dentist, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, I go to the dentist every six months, whether I feel like something's wrong or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it ended up being so much more than that. It ended up helping me understand myself. And that, I mean, what is writing a romance other than understanding fundamental conditions of like human nature, right? Mm-hmm. And what makes yeah. and human motivation and what makes humans do what they do. Yeah. So I think that that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. I I always say that my wife is a tinkerer with stuff. She takes apart lamps. She she does woodworking. She makes her own knitting patterns. She's always trying to figure out how things work and how to make things she's better. She's a renaissance woman. Yes, she is. Um, she's just always tinkering on something. And I think what I've learned about myself is that I am a tinkerer of people Uh right i'm always trying to figure out what makes people tick what makes people do any number of wild things that 
that are risky or that go against their self-interest or that prevent them from moving forward in ways that could obviously be good for them. And, and I, I think I've learned through therapy that I do that too. And I, I've learned to understand that motivation in myself. Um, but also I have a relationship with my therapist where she understands that my mental health and my creativity are inextricably linked mm -hmm. there is there is no mental health for me without creation and that is is fundamental to who I am and how I address the world around me so I can very much bring in these things to her I can very much say hey this is not working and I can't figure out why this is not working in a book and she understands that that is something that is just as important for me to work through as to why I may be bucking up against something in my personal life. Mm -hmm. um, Susie is reading my next book right now, proofreading it. And it was started, I was actually started before we left. And then in the year of sort of wildness, it got set aside and I've picked it back up again since we got home in May and she was reading and she said, oh, I, I see the point where you got back in therapy. And I was like, what? No and way. She, yeah. She's like, I can pinpoint the chapter in which you got back in therapy. And she was like, I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, it's the first mention where they explicitly talk about the patterns that have been driving them to hurt each other. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I I talked to Leah about that. And she was like, I can see, she can see the tangible results in my writing. That is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. She's like, I, she's like, I, she highlighted a, a specific line and she was like, I heard Leah's voice. Oh Leah my is my therapist. Yeah. So that is wonderful. Wow. 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 I can't wait to tell Kathleen. She'll love that. Yeah, it's it's good. And we so Susie and I go to therapy together every other week and then I go on my own every other week. So um I also think that, you know, anytime you're you're talking with couples, right? I mean I don't know, I haven't I can't speak to anybody else's couples experience, but a lot of the things have come down to communication, mm -hmm. to how you're communicating, to what you're communicating, to understanding that what you think you said might not be what someone else heard. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that when you're writing a romance, this is, this is paramount, yes. right? The yeah. way that, especially because you're communicating the two ways that some, or the ways that two other people communicate. So you're, you've got like meta communication issues there. And Yep. I think one of the things that I've noticed in my book since I've been in therapy is that I'm writing fewer and fewer books where the conflict hinges on bad communication. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think no. that a lot of humans are incredibly bad at communicating. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't always think that a miscommunication conflict is wrong. I think so many of us have miscommunication conflicts in our life, mm -hmm. but I think I think I'm also writing fewer and fewer books that hinge on a big fight scene. I think more and more lately, the conflicts hinge on two really good people who their values or their circumstances make them seem diametrically opposed. Hmm. Like and that. So believing that two people can be good and kind and caring and still have conflict between them that at times seems insurmountable. You know what I said earlier about depth to your character and that that I think speaks to that is that it's not about this communication conflict, which I think we all have. We all experience, you know, um, within our uh, our intimate relationship, our, you know, work relationships. I mean, we all do. But um you know, what, what you're talking about is something, um, beyond that, right? It's, it's, um, really that letting people know you, um, depth. Um, yeah. 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 That's great. Actually, and the, the sort of dark scene in seeking approval, my editor, um, 
was wrote in the comments section that she was like, Rachel Spangler, I will never, ever forgive you for this. This is so utterly heartbreaking because I don't have anyone to be mad at here. You know, there's no one that you can pin blame on. And then she was like, I had to go lay down and be mad at you for five minutes. And then I'm back to editing now. Um, but I think that that's much more human. This idea that there's not necessarily a bad guy. There's just two, you know, broken people doing the best that they can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. I think that, I, and I've said this publicly, but maybe you're the right person to say this to, because it seems like you've got the, the platform in the background. I would love to see like a podcast or article series where you interview creatives together with their therapists. Oh, that would be great. That would be fun. Well, uh, do you listen to uh, Esther Perel? I don't. Oh, yeah. She has a podcast. She's a therapist. She's brilliant. And um, she talks to uh, she talks to uh, couples or individuals on her podcast, and some of them uh, I think are famous people. Um, uh, but yeah, great, great podcast. You should check it out. Yeah, I uh, I send me that link because I'm trying to get more into podcasts. Sorry, I'm getting. I thought I had muted my text, but. Yeah, and things poking through there. Sorry for that. Yeah, no worries, no problem, (laughs) no problem at all. Um, all right. Well, Ray, that's about all the time we have for today, actually. Um, so I'm going to ask you: Do you have any parting words for our listeners today? Oh, um, no. You're a great interviewer. I think you've covered a lot here. I think I would just say that. if you are going to be in Provincetown, come say hello. And otherwise, you can find me on pretty much all the social medias. I'm not on X very much anymore because I'm mad at Elon. Um, but beyond that, I'm a public follow on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Blue Sky Social. Like, I'm a super extroverted author. So come find me and hang out. So, folks, check out Ray's uh, latest book called Seeking Approval, uh, written under her their pen name, Rachel Spangler. And um, it's available on Bella Books and Amazon. Um, and uh, you can find Ray in Provincetown in two weeks. Um, she'll, uh, they'll be there with, with the family. So yeah, yeah, the whole crew, you'll probably see us around Commercial Street. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Anita Kelly, and thanks for joining Liz Talk About Books, baby. And until <laughs> next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe, folks. <laughs>